What is a plumber's favorite casino game? Craps! <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to Starting Sustainability. This is episode 138. My name is Kaylin Chenoweth and I am your host. I am a wife of three kids, married. I have a dog, two cats, we have chickens. There's a lot of chaos and a lot of things that go on in our household. And just like every other previous episode, there's a lot to catch up on. So I'm gonna fill you in on everything that's been going on in our world. The first round of exciting news is that Channing hooked up the hot water part of the bidet sprayer. This is a big deal because remember how he said he wasn't going to even use it if it only had cold water? And remember how I said it would take a whole nother year before he would finally get around to getting the fitting that hooks up to the hot water part? Well, we both had to eat our words. <laughs> Channing commented to me one evening how ice cold the water is when he uses it. And I was shocked to find out that he was even using it. <laughs> excited but shocked. He also mentioned that he forgot to check the settings once and it was set to ladies wash not the butt wash and his family jewels got blasted with cold water. Got blasted with cold water. He was very motivated after that to get the fitting. He got the fitting two weeks ago on a Saturday and the very next day Sunday he had the hot water hooked up. I am so excited he's using the Butt Blaster 3000 bidet sprayer and I'm very proud of him for taking one more step in the right direction towards being sustainably conscious. Something that has been quite a journey to get him on board with. Two Mondays ago, we both cashed in a PTO day and had a wonderful date day while the kids were at daycare and preschool. We did have a rough start. At 7 a.m., I had an HR call with our third shift people because they can't be adults. <laughs> and I finished my call, came out of the room I was in, and Channing was dealing with crying, grumpy, tired kids and a clogged sink. We did eventually unclog the sink. Thank you, Andrew Serrano. He posted in the Facebook group a product called Bio One Enzymatic Drain Septic Cleaner that is very eco-friendly, especially compared to Liquid Plumber. This is plumber recommended. Believe it or not, plumbers do not recommend Liquid Plumber, but the marketing of Liquid Plumber products overwhelms consumers to think that it is a good product. Liquid Plumber is an acid-based product. Bio One is an enzyme solution. This is all natural and non-toxic, so the waterways are not getting polluted like they would with chemical-based drain cleaners. Bio One is made in the USA in Sarasota, Florida, actually, which was pretty cool. I saw that on the back of the bottle. I remembered this product that Andrew had posted and immediately went online and bought it. <laughs> it is not on Amazon. You must go to aquasolutions.com to get it. You put it down your drain once a month for maintenance and the enzymes eat at the organic matter, not the pipes like the acid wood and liquid plumber. Once I ordered it, it was about two to three days before it was delivered and immediately. <laughs> we mixed up the solution and poured it down the sink. You have to do it at the end of the day because you want to sit in your pipes as long as possible. So if you pour it in there and then start 
washing dishes or whatever it just dilutes it and runs it out so leave it in there to sit so we did it right before bed that way it had sat for a good eight ten hours before we end up using the sink we will now do that as part of our regular monthly routine to prevent any future clogged sinks after we got the sink unclogged we did have a great wonderful rest of the day date day and we got to do a lot of really cool things we added a local restaurant, Channing drank some local beer, we went to a local candy shop for dessert, and then we went to a place here in Lafayette called Malibu Jacks, and it's basically an indoor entertainment. There's arcade games, bowling, laser tag, go-karts, putt-putt golf, a whole lot of arcade games actually, a bunch of virtual reality experiences. There's even like a, there's a miniature coaster in there. It's a whole indoor entertainment park. It was really cool because it was a Monday, so it was dead. <laughs> we got to do everything that we wanted to do and didn't have to wait for any lines and didn't have to compete with a whole bunch of little kids. It was a blast. <laughs> Two weeks ago, our chickens started going through a molt. If you are like me, <laughs> where you're new chicken owners and don't really know what a molt is. I guess once a year, sometimes twice a year, depending on the breed and the weather of your chickens, they will drop all their feathers and grow in new ones. So it's no different than dogs and cats that shed a layer of fur and grow. So you have your winter fur and your summer fur. The chickens do the same thing. They get extra fluffy in the wintertime to keep the heat in. And in the summertime, they kind of thin down a little bit. And since the weather here in Indiana is all over the place, we had a good week and a half of 50, 60 degree weather. And of course, today it's snowing. So these poor chickens started losing their feathers a couple weeks ago. They're basically half naked. And then all the cold rain and wind came in. So <laughs> they're surviving. They're doing okay. We did concoct a way to take extra advantage of our chickens. They do serve a purpose to this family providing us eggs and we greatly appreciate that but we have found a secondary purpose and we are using them as a sod remover to help prepare our garden area and our garden beds. Right now our garden beds are full of all of last year's dead plants and at this moment in time, grass is starting to grow, weeds are starting to grow, but we also want to expand the garden. And my thought was, oh my gosh, I want to expand this garden and I have all this grass and weeds all over the place. I'm going to have to come out here with a sod remover to get rid of it or a tiller or something, all this work. And then I thought, how about I just let the chickens do the work? Because if you have a penned in area and you keep the chickens in there all the time, eventually all that grass disappears as we learned with our current chicken coop. They eat at it and peck at it and they dig and scratch with their feet and they aerate it and stir it all up. And I thought, yeah, instead of renting a sod remover or a tiller and using a whole Saturday, a very valuable, precious time off, let's make the chickens do the work. When we moved into this house, it came with a, an outdoor dog house and a fenced in kennel area. Don't worry, we don't put our dog out there. <laughs> our dog's a Houdini escape artist anyway, so it wouldn't have worked. But we were able to take that. It's a big rectangular shape fencing. It's probably a good four feet by 12 feet area of fencing. And it's all together. And we just lift it up and over and off of the doghouse and then carried it out to the area of the yard where we want to create a big garden. We want to be able to grow pumpkins and squash and rows of corn. So we're talking a really big gardening area, not the cute little four by eight gardening bed that we have. <laughs> we want a big, big area. We did that. So the last, that was about two weeks ago that we hauled that fencing area out there. And then we, with the chickens, we open up the chicken coop 
We let them come out. And then Chang and I basically herd the chickens ourselves to that pen, which was a lot of work the first day. The second day was less work. The third day, the chickens got the routine. Now we open it up. We just kind of walk behind them and slowly herd them towards the pen and then just walk and go right on in. And then we can close the door. <laughs> it is actually pretty easy to train a chicken. And I did not realize that, but that's wonderful and works to our advantage. So when the weather is nice, we walk them over into that pen area so they can dig up and eat at the scratch and help prep our garden beds. Did I mention I am really loving having chickens? I never did conquer and master composting. I played around with it. For a long time, I just took it to another facility, a professional composting facility, or not professional, industrial. That's the word I'm looking for, an industrial composting facility. And then I attempted doing my own composting in our backyard where I did the trench gardening, trench composting for gardening. But then we moved out, so I don't really know how well that worked out. And then we came here, and now we've got chickens. Chickens are freaking amazing. They can do all the composting. They can prep our gardens. Life is great right now. Once the garden is in full bloom later this summer, and we have lots of plants and flowers and vegetables coming in, do not let the chickens in at that point in time. Then they will destroy your garden. But right now, I want them to remove all of the weeds and stuff, and they are extremely beneficial. Another update... Knock on wood. Six time was the charm. <laughs> I am talking about our minivan. Since we got it back on February 9th, there has not been a check engine light. So we are past the previous nine day record. In fact, we are at almost five weeks. We're at four and a half weeks at this moment in time. Pretty good. I'm pretty excited. Although we have both decided that if it, if that check engine light comes on one more time, we're done. We're just done, done, done. Our patience is out with this minivan. I don't know what we will do. We will figure it out. <laughs> but we are not going to endure any more physical, emotional, or financial stress due to that minivan. We did have quite a major event last Friday. So by the time you're listening to this, it would have been two Fridays ago because I recorded early. But last Friday night, I work down in Columbus, Indiana, and I have a two-hour drive home, and it rained all day Friday. All day long, it rained and rained and rained. <laughs> Channing was keeping me posted and keeping me updated. Our We have a pond in our backyard that last summer was actually very dry. It was hardly rained at all, and our pond shrank <laughs> quite a bit, a, a significant amount. So our pond was just about empty. There was literally only two feet of water left and it's a good 20 feet 20 foot deep 20 feet deep pond whatever is the correct grammar there from all of the rain the previous week and then two fridays ago it was non-stop rain in fact it was flash flooding for 90 percent of the state of indiana and it rained and our pond filled up and then our pond has a built-in overflow. There's a little trench that connects the pond to the side of our property. And then it goes all down between our driveway and our neighbor's driveway. So it, there's a little trench that goes down and that trench had filled up with water. And then our yard started getting full of water. So it was quite a lot going on two Fridays ago. Thank goodness Channing now has a work from home job and he was able to keep an eye on our house and our property and everything. And every couple of hours, he'd 
get up out of his chair and his desk and he'd walk around, he'd go outside and he'd check and he saw the pond filling up, the trenches filling up, then the yard started getting squishy. He said he went back to work. Two hours later, he got up and he went out and the chicken coop was flooded with ankle deep water. So he had to go and rescue the chickens. All the chickens were sopping wet up on the roosting bar and Channing brought the cage in there. He said, the chickens cooperated 100%. He just grabbed them right off the roosting bar and put them in the cage. They didn't fight nothing. Usually we got to chase them around for quite a while and we got to put them in a cage. <laughs> Even the rooster was just like, yep, I'm, I'm at your mercy. Save me. Like, <laughs> here I am, belly up like a dog. Like, just, just take me, just save me. No fight whatsoever. They just went with it. Channing did rescue the chickens, got them in the cage, put them in the garage. They had to hang out in a garage for about 24 hours until the water was able to reseed the next day. That night, Friday night, it's normally a two-hour drive, but because of the bad weather and traffic, it was about two hours and 45 minutes for me to get home. Channing's calling and talking to me, filling me in, keeping me updated on what's going on, and he had a really big concern because he kept hearing the backup alarm for our sump pump. Our pump was working in overdrive and I guess burned out. We weren't really sure. We were half panicking, so we weren't really thinking clearly either at that moment in time. But the backup pump, the one that we got last year after a power outage, that was running. Thank goodness <laughs> we had the backup. But even then, it was going nonstop. It was going, going, going. So we were draining down the backup battery, which is basically a car battery. So we were able to devise a plan once that battery ran down, Channing would go to his truck, grab that battery and put it on and take the dead battery, put it in his truck, turn on his truck and re-energize it. And the plan was to just keep doing that all night long, which isn't really feasible, but that's what we were going to have to do to stop our basement from flooding. Luckily, my brother-in-law, Terry, thank you, Terry, huge shout out to you, is a car guy. And I called and asked if he happened to have a car battery charger. And he did. <laughs> Otherwise, I was about to go to AutoZone after a long drive. In, and it was raining floody. And by the time I got home, it had stopped raining and had turned to snow. So now we have the hazardous of a very slippery road going on. I really did not want to drive 20 minutes into town to go to AutoZone to get this. But I was willing to do it just to make sure our basement didn't flood. But thank goodness Terry had the car battery charger. He lives eight minutes down the road. I was able to stop by his house and get it. And it saved our basement from flooding that night. And praises to Channing because Channing was up to 1 a.m. Constantly checking on the sump pump and the battery and making sure everything was good and, and doing just fine. After many, many phone calls to a lot of different companies, we were finally able to get a plumber the next day to come out. Because we knew that we weren't going to be able to make it through the weekend. Like we made it through the night with this system, but we knew this was not a good permanent solution that we needed to get this fixed. All plumbers were super busy and no one could really come until Monday. That's why it took so many phone calls. We finally got a guy. He said, yes, I can be there. You're my 15th call before he was. <laughs> so he was very busy too. By the time he got to, we called him at, I think, 1030 in the morning. We finally got someone who said they could be here. And he wasn't even able to show up until around 4.30 in the afternoon. He also had a very busy day. So thank you to all the plumbers in Indiana because I know you guys all had an extremely busy Saturday. What we were able to figure out was that our sump pump 
would pump the water out and then all the water would rush back in. And we just thought, okay, well, the pond is full, the trenches are full. And that's why when it pumps the water out, it would normally go into that overflow trench. But the trench is full, so all the water is coming back in. And that's why the sump pump was working so hard. It would pump the water out, it'd immediately rush all back in. So it'd pump it out and it'd immediately rush back in over and over and over. That's why the first one burnt out. And then we are now on the emergency backup pump. While we were waiting for the plumber, Channing did go into town. He went to Lowe's. This is not an ad for Lowe's. It just happens to be the closest one to us. So that's the one that we went to. Got a new sub pump to replace our original one and a check valve. And that is critical. A check valve is also called a backflow preventer. Channing got all the parts. That way, when the plumber got here, we already had everything we needed. We just needed to hook it up and make sure that we did it correctly. We did not want to attempt to DIY it because if we messed up, we knew that we were going to have a flooded basement. And neither one of us works very well under pressure. <laughs> so this was not the day to try to figure it out. We needed to get it figured out right away correctly because there really was a lot on the line. The critical piece, the backflow preventer, we did not have one. That's why when the water would get pumped out, it would immediately rush back in. A backflow preventer or a check valve, you would pump the water out and then that valve is in the way so it cannot come back in, making life easier on the sump pump. Look, this sump pump came with this house. <laughs> we didn't know that that was a needed thing. When we had the inspection done on this house, it was not caught. I don't know if it's required, but it definitely was needed. And now we have it installed. And the moment that we got it installed, the sump pump would pump the water out. And then the well or the little pit, the sump area would remain empty. Whereas previously would just fill right back up. So now it actually remain empty. So when it slowly filled up, then again, it would kick on, pump it out and it would stay out. So that was the very critical device that we did not have. Heed my warnings now, learn from our lessons. If you have a sump pump, make sure you have a check valve or a backflow preventer. It's extremely important during a flooding situation. During all of this stress, we sparked up a debate on why it was called a sump pump. Because I kept calling it a sub pump with a B on the end. And Channing kept correcting me. No, it is sump, S-U-M-P, pump. Sub makes sense to me because sub by definition means below, like a submarine <laughs> means below the ocean. A sub pump is in a pit in the ground under the basement. So sub makes sense. It's below the ground. And Channing said, no, it's sump pump because it's a submersible pump. That's how it comes up with the name sump pump. Again, that was the debate back and forth. I'm like, well, if it's a submersible pump, then it should be sub pump, not sump pump. We looked it up in case you guys are interested in our meaningless debate. Sump, S-U-M-P, means pit. Therefore, sump pump means pit pump, which I'm totally on board of changing the name to pit pump because sump pump is really hard. I have to really focus on pronunciating that correctly. We survived Friday night with the flooding. We survived Saturday. We got the sump pump fixed. The plumber came, gave us a stamp of approval. All is good. Hey, we could finally relax and and start with all of the weekend chores like laundry <laughs> and anything else that we had to do. The very next day was Sunday and all three of my children were baptized. And because we spent most of Friday and Saturday worrying about the sump pump, outfits were not coordinated or ironed. 
We spent 20 minutes not finding hair gel for Channing's hair or the boys. The plan was to get to church nice and early, but we barely got there on time. <laughs> I think this is normal for a family with three kids. <laughs> one cool thing is that the christening gown my daughter wore was the same one that my mom sewed for me 36 years ago. And I wore it as well as many of my nieces wore it for their baptisms. So it's really cool to keep old clothes and reuse them because now that dress is an antique and it's a family tradition. A really good way to end the weekend after such a stressful two-thirds of it. Sunday was a really great wonderful day. Our family, a lot of family, came out and joined us at the church and it was very meaningful and very special and just very spiritual. It was it was a wonderful experience. Even though our weekend was crazy and stressful and had a lot of bad things and a couple of good things going on, it was nothing at all in compared to the train derailment that happened in Ohio. And I understand it's been a little bit more than, it's really been over a month since the train carrying chemicals derailed in Ohio. It's been interesting to follow the news and see how this major environmental accident has played out so far. At first, they were calling it Chernobyl 2.0, but now it's not as bad as it seems. Who knows? There are still a lot of questions, and I wanted to tackle this today just to get the discussion and the conversation going. For those who missed the news, on Friday, February 3rd, around 9 p.m., a Norfolk Southern train derailed near East Palestine, Ohio, and there are 48 hundred residents of this town so it's a it's not a super small town but it's not a city it's it's a, I guess a regular town <laughs> the good news is nobody was hurt in this train accident the bad news is well there's a lot of bad news of the 150 cars on the train 20 of them were carrying hazardous materials 11 of those derailed and one of those hazardous materials was vinyl chloride, a man-made substance used in making PVC. Think of PVC pipes. Inhalation of vinyl chloride can cause respiratory symptoms like shortness of breath, along with neurological symptoms like headaches and dizziness. Chronic exposure to high levels of vinyl chloride has been associated with liver damage and cancer, according to the CDC. I forgot to tell you my sources. I kind of just jumped right into the story. But my sources for today's episode, <laughs> an article that I found on NPR and another article from the New York Times. Okay, back to the story. <laughs> A manifest that detailed the other hazardous chemicals. Yes, there were a lot more than just the vinyl chloride. <laughs> but that manifest has now been released. The other chemicals include ethylene glycol, monobutyl ether, ethyl hexyl, acrylate, and isobutylene. You know, what? I took chemistry in high school and in college, and I took organic chemistry too in college, and I hated every minute of it. This is probably the only benefit of taking all those chemistry classes that I can now pronounce all of these chemicals correctly. <laughs> but, but that's it. Otherwise, I'm useless when it comes to chemistry. The chemicals that I just listed all of them can cause irritation or neurological symptoms like dizziness and headaches. In addition to the chemical spill, the derailment caused a fire 
and firefighters worked really hard to put it out. Thank you to all the firefighters. They put it out. And at the same time, because of all these chemicals spilling everywhere, they intentionally burned off the chemicals to prevent a catastrophic explosion. So we've got a train derailment, fires going, put out the fire, chemicals are going, we got to set them on fire to make the chemicals less hazardous. It's a lot. It's a lot going on in poor East Palestine. The fires were finally extinguished on February 8th and the evacuation order was lifted at that time. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, they tested the air and municipal water and deemed it safe for residents to return. However, they recommended bottled water for those who have private wells until further testing can be completed. The release of chemicals caused the deaths of 3,500 fish in the days following the derailment. Per the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, no evidence of an increase in fish deaths since those early days, and there are no signs of harm to any other type of animal. That's according to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. During the initial derailment, a plume of contaminants was released, and it did reach the Ohio River. Fortunately, a variety of containment measures were quickly put into place to ensure the safety of drinking water, and that's per both sources, NPR and New York Times. On the flip side, another source states the toxic chemicals have seeped into the soil, air, and water, and it will take years to fully understand the long-term impact. East Palestine, Ohio is a mere mile from the state border and 20 miles to the Ohio River. The toxins have already reached the Ohio River, which flows through six states and serves as a source of drinking water. As mentioned, over 3,500 fish have already died. Livestock that graze the lands have died or have been moved out of state, and the human toll will include environmental, economic, social, and personal impact. Evacuated residents were given permission to return home days after the event, although it's still arguable that it is not safe to do so. Residents can use the shelter system that's been set up. However, if they have pets, they have to relinquish them. If they have children, they have to remove them from school. And there's a big financial burden that will be very hard to recover from because bills still have to be paid, even if you're in a shelter, like your mortgage. Homeowners will be very unlikely to sell their homes if they want to leave. Or residents can stay in their home with their family and pets all together, but it's really not safe. Between all the conflicting information, it's hard to decipher the truth. Some say it's safe to return. However, residents who did return complained about strong smells, headaches, and nausea. Some residents were wearing N95 masks and goggles and still experienced smells and irritated eyes. My heart really goes out to these residents. If I was in their position, I wouldn't want to relinquish my pets or yank my kids out of school. They're literally forced a very quick uprooting out of there. Not everybody has another place to go or another place to live. And they're forced into this shelter system, which is not great either. It's chaotic. You still got to work. How are you supposed to work? (laughs) So it's, 
it's a mess. It's a headache. And I really do feel for the residents of East Palestine. They did not ask for this and it's a total nightmare for them. When this story first came out, I was initially told by a friend, like via friend's word of mouth, that this was the worst environmental disaster in the U.S., which is really not true. The worst environmental disaster was the Deepwater Horizon BP oil spill, which occurred on April 20, 2010. We did two episodes, a part one and a part two about that earlier. But... From that, lessons were learned, and the Ohio River had equipment, supplies, and procedures in place to quickly contain the contaminated waterways and clean them up. I hope the EPA is correct and that everything is safe and quickly going back to normal. There are still negative effects from the BP oil spill observed to this day. Like I said, there's a lot of conflicting information. It depends on which source you read from where. And really, only time will tell us of the long-term negative effects on the environment. We can keep guessing and predicting all we want, but we're just going to have to wait to really find out the truth of how bad of an impact this had. It is time for the challenge of this episode. I have a bunch of silver maple trees on my property, and as the weather is warming up, it's late winter early spring where it's I say hot cold hot cold it's 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 freezing cold freezing cold (laughs) it's bouncing around in the proper temperature range where you can tap maple trees and get some maple syrup I guess really you'd get the sap I'm not really sure what it is that you get when you tap them (laughs) I guess it's the sap and you can turn it into syrup If anybody knows how to do that, your challenge is to tell me all about it because I don't know and I would like to learn. If you've got information, please share it with me. You can reach out to me on Facebook Messenger. You can do it on the Starting Sustainability Facebook group. Those are the best ways. To be honest, I do have an email and I really stopped checking it because I blasted my email on this podcast and therefore it got like it is chuck full of spammers and junk emails at this point. It's very hard. It's a lot of work to go through it and narrow down of the 100 emails that I received today. There might be one that's relevant to this podcast. So I've really kind of backed off of checking my email. The absolute best way is to join the Starting Sustainability Facebook group and you can send me a message that way or do a post on there and share it with everybody. Tell everybody how to tap a maple tree. I'd be really excited to learn. So hopefully it's not too late since the weather is all over the place. From what I gather now is the ideal time. I just got to figure out how to do it and make it happen. The next episode will be on March 27th. I'm sure many of you are out celebrating spring break this week, last week, next week, whenever. (laughs) Have a great, wonderful, safe journeys. Try to be sustainably conscious if you can. Share your experiences on the Facebook group if you find some cool things on your travels. I wish you all the best of luck on adjusting to the time change this week. (laughs) And I will talk to you all again on March 27th. Have a great one. Bye.